to say this dream is still alive. You might have killed the dreamer, but you can't kill the dream. Hello and welcome to the Secret Adventures of Black People. I'm your host, Nicole Hill. It's not hard to be black. That's one of my favorite non-optional things about myself. It's just hard to deal with other people's feelings about me being black. When it gets too annoying, too heavy, like lately, I like to dream of Africa. This is the most cliche dream you can have as a black person, like escaping to the motherland, but I don't care. Because out there, there are whole countries, an entire continent, full of people that look like me where so many people were born my color that nobody has any feelings about it. The only thing that's hard about this fantasy, though, is that I have so little to go on. i never been to the continent. What I was taught wasn't true. And what I see most often, the beautiful savannas, the crowded markets, tribal celebrations, it's gorgeous. But it doesn't say much about what it's like day to day. I need little snapshots of life in Africa, stories that are small enough for me to build a dream on, and storytellers who know what they're talking about. Two of the very best were Ryan Coogler and Chadwick Boseman. They painted the African kingdom of my American dreams with people that felt like cousins, struggles and triumphs I know so well, warrior women I wanted to be, and a king beyond worthy of his throne. May he rest in power. Wakanda forever. I read everything about the making of Black Panther when it came out, and I learned how they relied on African storytellers to build their fantasy of Wakanda. So I followed in their footsteps. In parts of West Africa, these storytellers are called griots. They put on these live performances where everyone will gather around outside and the griot, the storyteller, will stand in the middle of a circle and they'll tell stories that pass along values and traditions that help people understand the context that they've been born into. They're world builders. Mm. I just put a splashy man. This feels like a summer drink. It it's like very like summery. Like, I normally drink red wine, but I'm like, I don't want to get drunk. <laughs> you spend the night ahead of you. Yes, when they get here, God knows what they're going to be into. I went out and I found my very own grill, y'all. Okay, so we weren't in Africa. We were in Maryland, in her den. And there was no crowd, just a breathless me hanging on her every word. And her husband watching TV in the other room. Still, she gave me the stories I replay whenever I need to escape to the continent. My griot's name is Fiona. Okay. So, the first trip that comes to mind is the trip that I took back to Ghana and Brandon was with me when he was 13. So my son who's you know, 21 now. And he'd never been to Africa, and I had not returned to Ghana since I was 15. Whoa! So it was incredible, and we got to, we stayed with my uncle, who's 
I guess, kind of, you know, well off. He used to have his own restaurant, has a beautiful place in Accra, in the city. Mm-hmm. And um, they were very accommodating. I mean, waited on us literally hand and foot. Aww. It was a little bit strange because he had like cooks and maids and all that. And I'm like, no, I can do it. I can wash my own dishes and all that. But it was the whole family experience, making the connections, just having people come to the house saying, oh, I used to babysit you. Aww. And I remember your parents. And then we rented this big SUV, got a driver and went into the townships and the other little villages. Oh, wow. And it was just fantastic. Eating, just going to the beach every day to get oh. the fish that people had just caught. They clean it for you if you want. They'll cook it right there. And they had all these different sauces. And wow. Like food from my childhood that, like I say, you know, I was, you know, already in my 40s or something. I hadn't had since I was 15 years old. Wow. And as soon as I tasted the food, I remembered how good it was Mm -hmm. and just sitting there and having conversations and people just telling stories and I think that's what Ghanaians do they like repeat stories to the young ones Mm -hmm. the young ones repeat it to other kids and we drove we drove from Accra to Kumasi to Takradi so I'll explain how that works yeah Accra is the city in Ghana it's the capital so that's where my brother and I went to boarding school before my two sisters were born ah. and moved to England. And that's, you know, there's a seaport there. That's where my uncle's house is. It's okay. very modern. Mm-hmm. Accra has a mall. It has McDonald's. It has a place called Frankie's Pizzas. It's just, <laughs> it's wonderful. You know, uh, it has wine from all over the world. That's place to be. Yeah, it's got like, you know, all the rich expatriates that have come back from either living in America, England, Switzerland, they've got these big mansions. It's a little bit obnoxious because then they've got some very poor people as well. Oh. But it's where it's all happening. Mm-hmm. It's where the government is. So you drive from Accra, which is also, you know, near the sea. And then there's Tema, which is the port, right? Mm-hmm. Takradi is Tema. And all these big freights come in big ships where they get their goods delivered, right? Oh. Provisions and things from overseas, mm-hmm. you know, because they get... They rely a lot on exports coming in. So my mom made sure that we went to see the ships coming in and we remembered all of this. You like, remembered it once you were back? Once I was back, I was like, I remember driving in, uh, you know, my dad's lorry and we'll go and we'll pick up like goods, provisions for the week or the month. It's like your name is on some bill of laden. You have to sign it. Wow. And, you know, this was before internet and all that. I made you myself when we lived there. <laughs> I remember my parents would get a phone call and a telegraph. They go pick up the food. But I like the music. It's like everywhere you go, like at a certain time, you know, in the night by 6 p.m., people be sitting under the, the palm trees and they'll just be like play music. Really? And then people start dancing. Hey, you remember this one? And then they'll put like the, you know, the <laughs> CDs on or, you know, the whatever. They have everything, you know, Spotify, whatever you want. But they'll mix it with a local radio. So it was, it was beautiful. The experience was just, I, I don't know, captivating mm. in the sense that it just, it was almost like I was living in a dream but it was real because mm-hmm. I was there mm-hmm. and it I was afraid that it would be spoiled that it would be too different from what I remembered it but they, they, I just loved that the culture was still there and people were so kind 
and the food was outstanding. <laughs> Did they think that you were very different? Like, was everyone kind of like, oh, you're very British or American or you're just like so different from us? They did to a point, but also they treated me differently because I speak the language fluently. Mm -hmm. So I was very accepted. My brothers and sisters, they kept saying, they kept calling, they kept calling them Obroni. Which means white person. <laughs> <laughs> I have heard that word before. <laughs> like, and Africans, people yeah, will be like, And <laughs> my sister uh, could speak a little bit. So she said, And they were like, Oh, no, no, I'm oh, so sorry. We what does that mean? Talk about you, she said. I am not a, a white person, I am a black person. <laughs> so, Obroni actually is bad, it means a burnt white person. <laughs> <laughs> do you all consider yourself, like, when you're in Africa, do people call themselves black or do you, would you be like, I'm Ghanaian, I'm not black? What's oh, they don't, they just, they say Ghanaian, me a Ghanaian, me a Ghanaian. I was an American. You were, you are an American. I'm an, oh, I'm just American. You're American. American. But what about the black part? The black what part is like, you're just, you're just American to them. Oh. Yeah. I'm a brony, I'm a burnt you're white the, person. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, they don't have a word uh, for African-American? It's no, just, you're just no, a burnt white just, person. No. <laughs> so burnt white person is usually people who are biracial, but you're just American. You, oh. are, you are not African, you're just... Just American. Yeah, uh, American. They wouldn't even say a black American because they would think that was rude. Really? Mm. Why? I don't know. It's just this concept that they have like, oh, Americans are just so, you know, they just lump you all in together. <laughs> okay. And so when you left, did you think it would be that long before you came back? No, I didn't. Mm. I was really, I really didn't think absolutely not that it would take me that long to go back. Because we left, we wanted to go back, but you know, my dad had got a new job in England. We were in school. It wasn't like... We went back a couple of times. We were then 15, high school. Then we moved to London. Then college starts. And then mm -hmm. before you know it, you've got your own life. And right. it's like, oh, one day I go back to Ghana. Mm -hmm. I never thought I would leave England, move to America, have my own child. And I'm going back as a mother with a grown... Yeah. You know, a teenager. So, so it was close to the age you were when you left. Exactly, which was really... What was that like? That was funny. That was funny because, you know, there's generations and they're all relating. So the funny thing about that is most of my family know English people, right? My mom's, you know, lived in England, Scotland, whatever. Here I come with Brandon and they kept calling him American boy. Oh. <laughs> you know, he's the American. Yeah. Hey, yeah. you look like Chris Brown. It was so funny. And he's like, I do not look like Chris Brown. <laughs> then you look like, do you know how to rap? So that was funny because they were loving it. They were loving it. Was, they are so obsessed with America. Really? Oh my God. Even no. when you were growing up? Um, when we were growing up, it was more England. Oh. But right now, there's a lot more Americans, especially um, African Americans are building homes. In Ghana? In Ghana. Really? Yeah, and the first one to build a home there was Stevie Wonder. Oh. Yeah, so they get these beautiful homes and, you know, professors from Howard just really? retire and buy a home. It's got a good history, good history. And then there's the sad part, too. There's the uh, 
Ketko's Castle, which is not too far from where my mum, my mum's from Winneba, and that's where the slave trade was. That was that, the whole, the, the passage of no return. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. So that's in Ghana. I remember learning about that. That's, that's in Ghana. In Ghana. Mm-hmm. You get on there and they show you. And that, I really could not go through it. I went there and there was a hallway, the, the place where they put all the slaves and washed them and I had to leave. I couldn't, I felt like really, it was yeah. haunted. Oof. I Growing leave. up, that's curious, what do you, what do you learn about the slave trade, like slavery in America? What would they teach? I didn't learn about it in Ghana. I didn't learn about it until I actually got to England and started really? reading about it. They don't, they didn't talk about it to me. As a child, they just said it was a bad place. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just a bad what place. What about in school? They never talked about it? No, because we do English history. Oh. We did English history, so it's only the, the, the history that, you know, I learned about Kwame Nkrumah, the first, you know, Ghana was one of the first countries in Africa to get its independence, and it was not, it wasn't called Ghana, it was called the Gold Coast. Oh, yeah. I've heard of the Gold Coast. Yeah, that used to be Ghana. Oh. And he changed the name because that was related to Queen Victoria and all them mm-hmm. coming over. And, the, you know, I learned about the history. I know about fierce warrior woman called Ashanti. Yeah. Oh, yeah, heard. Ashanti. Mm-hmm. There's like a big bronze statue of her in the middle of Kumasi on a horse. And she shaved her head and drove the English into the sea. So that's the story that we know. And I always thought it was folklore. But it's actually true. Wow. It's in the history books. Oh. And there was a statue of her. And there's just all kinds of stories. The Ashanti Hini is still there. They still have a king. Thank you for listening to season one of The Secret Adventures of Black People. I've been your host, Nicole Hill. And this is the last episode of the season. It's crazy. I cannot believe it. But I'll be back in 2021 with more stories. In the meantime, you can keep up with the show on Instagram, sign up for the newsletter to stay in touch, and support the show on Patreon. You can find the links to direct you to all those things in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who helped me and encouraged me throughout the season. Way too many to name, but I tried to get y'all on the last episode. I appreciate you more than I am ever going to be able to express. And thank you for listening. Stories shape our world. They matter. And being safe enough to dream and just observe and enjoy the little things about the world around you is what I want so much for Black people. I want to encourage you to support the Black adventurers in your lives. Show them love. Be specific and effusive and consistent with it. Donate to Black-run organizations. Keep patronizing Black-owned businesses. Volunteer. Vote. Elevate Black stories every chance you can. Scream at the top of your lungs that Black lives matter. Because they do. I implore you to protect Black women and to believe Black people. That's it. I'll see you again soon for more stories about Black folks holding it down across space and time.